Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Collaborative Voices from Community Networks Aotearoa. Conversations and interviews on all kinds of subjects of interest to the community and voluntary sector. Listen up for Collaborative Voices from Wellington Access Radio. Welcome to Collaborative Voices. My name is Ros Rice and I work with Community Networks Aotearoa. And today I'm very, very honoured to have Stephen Moe. And I'll tell you just a little bit about Stephen. Uh, he's a lawyer with more than 20 years experience and he works at Parryfield Lawyers, which is a law firm <clears throat> uh, in beautiful Otutahi, Christchurch, where I was this last weekend for a beautiful, fun weekend. Anyway, uh, Perry Field is a law firm of more than 70, um, uh, not partners, staff. You don't have 70 partners, Steve, do you? No, we don't. We have 70 staff, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's 11 and, partners. <laughs> yeah. And um, there is a team of six people who operate what's called Purpose Practice. And that is a team that primarily focus on impact-focused organisations. And we love one of your um, descriptive phrases, uh, purpose-driven uh, organisations, or for purpose, calling the not-for-profit sector the for-purpose sector. We like that. We're picking it up and starting to use it ourselves. So you, you work with charities, companies and social enterprises across, across the motto. So... And you know, Stephen is also well known that once a month he runs a really, really interesting um, Zoom discussion series where he discusses all kinds of issues uh, that are pertinent to the community, the not-for-profit and the charity sector. And also, um, Stephen, a really great thing about it is how many people come and join in on your Zoom. At the last one I was at, there was over 120 representatives of not-for-profits sitting in on your Zoom. Yeah, it depends on the topic. That one <laughs> is definitely um, a hot one, which is the Charities Act that we're going to talk about. Yeah. I'd, I'd say typically the email goes out to more than 750 people. No. And then it depends on who's speaking. This coming month, we have the Race Relations Commissioner. Um, so that will be really interesting. And mm. usually about 30 or 40 people would be the average. Yeah. So can you tell people who are just starting to listen to this, if they want to join in on your Zoom, how they do that? Well, the easiest way is to get onto the email list. So if they can just email me, as you said, my name is Stephen Moe, M-O-E. So there's only one of me in New Zealand. <laughs> I'm pretty easy <laughs> to find yeah. on Google. And right. then just drop me an email, um, stephenmoe at perryfield.com, and I'll add you to the list. And then you'll know lots of people don't join the calls, but then they get the in the emails with the link. I put in any recent trends I'm seeing, any links to things, including things that you've done, yeah. you know, um, mm -hmm. governance related, mm -hmm. just anything that interests me, really. Yeah. So I can't make all Stephen's um, calls, but it's really great always being able to watch uh, the video of the calls later and just mm. catch up on what people are thinking and, and what's happening and also Stephen's great advice, which comes from a legal perspective. So today we're really focusing on, I really need to make sure I time this, but we're really focusing on 
um, the review to the Charities Act that has been presented to us all and how people are reacting to the suggested changes uh, that have come up from DIA, who've been the um, organisation that have reviewed the Act. Uh, so let's just start off with what do you think overall about the changes that have been suggested? Yeah, well, maybe stepping back from the detail, uh, I think it's really good to think about where we are almost at our moment in history, you know, thinking about what's led to where we are. So you have the act which came out in kind of mid 2000s, 2005-ish, and that now is almost 20 years ago. So there was always a desire that it be reviewed and that there are there changes needed. Um, so that's really what we're going through now. Uh, in 2017, when the current government came into force, they had a policy, which was they would review the Charities Act. And so that's what was the kicking off of this. Um, but as we all know, <laughs> COVID has been around there's been a lot of other reasons for delay. So unfortunately, it's been like a four-year process, five-year process to even get to where we are. Um, and it hasn't been an easy one in the sense of it's not been quick moving. Um, so I guess stepping back from, is it a good thing or not? That's kind of the context of how we got to where we are. And one of the things that we can talk about is the fact that responses can be one line. You know, it doesn't have to be a big, long essay. This isn't a master's thesis with lots of footnotes. No. You could pick one issue and say, well, actually, I don't understand this, or I think this needs to be changed. And you could focus in on just those points. Yes. So that's my encouragement is everybody should get a copy or read through the bill and then be able to say, here's our view. Because otherwise, what's the point of democracy if we're not actually willing to take it up and make our voices heard? And I think it's particularly important that people submit on this bill, because once this bill gets passed in whatever form it is, it's going to be years and years and years before any government's going to take another look at this act. And so this is probably the last chance for decades to actually make a difference in how charities law is applied to uh, for-purpose organisations. So please do. And, and I just want to reiterate what Stephen said as well, which is even if it's just a couple of sentences or a paragraph saying just about this particular point, we've got an issue that we want to discuss, it doesn't have to be the whole thing. It can just be the one thing that really irks you. But, you know, or, or you know, it could be the one thing you think is fantastic and you want to say that. But please, everybody, do take the opportunity to get your viewpoint across to government on the discussed amendments to this bill. That's right. And, and we have um, made two articles available. The first one is outlining some of the key changes so mm -hmm. that people can really get a good feel of what it is that's on the table. And the second is how to make a submission. Because I think there is a bit of uncertainty among people like, yeah. oh, I, I want to do it, but it sounds complicated. Like, yeah. how do I make a submission? Actually, it's not that complicated. No. You know, there's a process, there's a way to submit, and it's simpler than you think. So those yeah. articles are on our website, on the Perry Fields um, website, if people want to have a look at those. Yeah, and, and I'll just say before we move on, 
um, for your email. It's Stephen with a V, S-T-E-V-E-N-M-O-M-O-E at parryfield.com. And I suspect the website's parryfield.com as well. Yep, that's right. It is. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, my my hope, you know, we're going to talk a bit more about the detail, but my hope is that people would take the time and have a have a at least a quick look through. Yeah. Read the article about what some of the changes are and then this is the whole point of democracy yeah. is that we can make our voices heard. That's right. So moving on very quickly, there's just a couple of things I want to cover before we go to a song. The first one is what do you think the overall intent of this changes to this bill um is what DIA was looking to do. Yeah, so my view on it is that it is more of a tweaking things. It's more of a changing this and changing that rather than any sort of we're fundamentally revisiting how things work. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, there are some key changes which I think could add clarity and could be positive. Um, so I don't want to go into all the detail, but one example of that would be the role of the board. So people get really confused about this, and it is confusing, <laughs> but there's the Department of Internal Affairs, DIA. Within DIA, there's a group called Charity Services. So that is the group that is the regulator. And from what I can tell, um, and I'm on stop the charity... there. They're not a regulator, yep. they're a registrar. Nowhere in any act does it call charity services are regulator. That's just something they've put upon themselves. Just a pet yeah. peeve of mine. Sorry to bang that drum, but... <laughs> oh, that's fine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because yeah. who, is, who is ultimately there making decisions? Yeah. Um, anyway, the uh, charity services is there and... I'm on their sector group, so that gives them input from time to time. Mm -hmm. And so I've gotten to know them quite well. And I think there's about 35 or 40 people just to kind of humanize it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like it's a, a hundred people or 200 people. It's, it's a group of people which make up charity services. But then there's also the charity services. There's another group called the board. And the board is made up of three people right now. Um, and the board are the ones who basically handle the difficult decisions. Or if there's some question about should this entity be registered or not, should they be deregistered, the board is the ones who will make that decision rather than charity services. So anyway, one of the changes that's proposed is that that number increases from three to, to five. So there'll be a, a slightly higher number of members of the board. So it's not earth shattering. It's not life changing, but I think it would be a positive thing because there'll now be five people instead of three. And I, I can only imagine, um, well, trying to gather any group of people these days is difficult. So <laughs> there must be quorum issues all the time in terms yeah. of someone's not available or whatever. So it's an example, I guess, of something... I also support um, any proposal that they put forward that it sort of enables easy compliance, easier compliance by charities. Like they have suggested um, a relaxation in the requirement for tier four organisations. And yeah. that's great because tier four are just the little tiny guys and they shouldn't be required to do the amount of reporting that the bigger and more well-heeled charities 
have are encouraged to do the forced. Yeah, I'm glad you point that out because you're right. And it is that would be one example of a positive because the reality is for the tier fours, very often it's like totally volunteer. You know, there's just some people gathering to run the local club of this or that. Mm. And there's no infrastructure around to be able Mm. for them. And also it's quite costly to go and get things reviewed and reports or audits prepared. Audits now are ridiculous. They're thousands and thousands of dollars to get an audit. Yeah, and it's actually hard to find auditors too because they're so busy. Auditors are resigning left, right, and center. We know of several who have just said we're giving up, we're not doing auditing anymore. Yeah, Mm. yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I think it's a conversation that lots of accounting firms and auditing firms are having. Is where's the where's our? There's no one left. There there um, not that many around. So Mm. actually, it's a diff. It's it's a big problem in a structural Mm. sense. Um, And I think with COVID kind of fading a bit more now, there will be a whole generation of people, you know, the young accountants and auditors and lawyers. Who are like, well, I couldn't go overseas for three years, and now I'm going to go to London or Sydney yeah. or wherever We're it is. Leave so, the country. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a big, um, yeah. You know, not not that many people around. Yeah. Mm. So, um, just looking at the time, and um, I think now's a really good time to discuss the song that we're going to play, just to give people a wee break before we get into other issues. So um, we've chosen, well, Stephen's chosen New Zealand music, yay, because, um, you know, support New Zealand music all you can. It's not, it's much more accepted mainstream now than it used to be, say, even 10 or 20 years ago, where, you know, if you heard New Zealand music on a radio station, just about fell out of your chair. But going back to an oldie, but oh, a real favourite and a goodie, and thank you for um, requesting this. We're now going to play Bic Runga and her forever song, Sway. Doubt it makes me so 
requesting Big Steve Steve No problem. Um, I still remember when her Yeah, I remember when her debut album came out. It would have been about 97 or 98 yeah. or somewhere around yeah. then and she'd sort of burst on the scene playing yeah. the guitar and yeah, she's she's great. Yeah, and yeah, I just I really enjoyed Big Anyways, onward because um just to remind everybody, I'm speaking to Stephen Moe, and Stephen works at Parry Field Lawyers in Christchurch in Otatahi, and he's a bit of um, a colleague and an ally in the for-purpose sector, which is what we are currently calling the not-for-profit sector, and um, we're talking about the Charities Act amendments, which are up for your discussion as we speak, and we just really want to encourage everybody to take a look at them and make a submission, even if it's only half a page. We don't care. Just say what you think. And to help you with that, perhaps the next half hour or next quarter of an hour, we're going to just discuss um, some of the main clauses that people need to be aware of. So what do you think is the most important clause that people should be aware of, Stephen? 
Well, there's a few. I, I hope it's okay. Let's just run through them. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to be careful about is not telling people you should submit this way or that way. No, it's more about way. raising the education so people know what the issue is and mm. then they can decide because mm. I think that should be the role. You know, that's education, isn't it? Rather yeah, than right. you should do this. <laughs> and actually, that's one thing I suggest people do is don't necessarily copy and paste each other's submissions because it has less weight if the person reading it goes, oh, well, this is clearly a templated document. You know, it's just reword things or express it in your own way. Um, but one of the interesting ones, and I'm still, I'll be honest, I'm still writing our submission right now. So I haven't even finished our submission. Um, just to encourage you, there's still time. Um, one of the interesting things is about the definition of who is an officer. Yeah. Um, and I know you you might have some thoughts on this as well, yeah, but no, it's, it seems like what they're trying to do is align the definition of who is an officer. So basically, an officer is somebody who's more senior in an organization and therefore has more responsibilities. And so they've said if a person has the ability to influence decisions, so it's kind of this grayish wording, rather than saying, if you're a trustee or if you're a board member, you know, like there's a clear category of people. And so I do worry. I think what they're trying to do is align it more with the incorporate society's proposed legislation, um, what the, the legislation and the regulations around incorporate societies and also health and safety at work. But it does strike me that it seems a bit vague as to who will actually qualify as an officer. Because if somebody exercises control, then, you know, they may not have an official title at all, but are they in or are they not? So I just worry about that type of phrasing, that it may become a bit unclear. One, I know one person came to us, yeah. yeah. One person came to us and said, my wife, I'm the chairperson and my wife influences me, so is she an officer? <laughs> Those <laughs> being a bit, you know, humorous about it. My concern is if they extend the um, the definition of an officer that way, then it could be extended to include uh, the senior management and staff because your CEO obviously has a role and influences the board. And um, the CEO is employed by the board. So that instantly brings up the issues of governance and management and where the line rolls because, and, and as well as that, a question that I asked Stephen last week that I, I'm not sure about at all, and it might seem a bit far-fetched, but you can make legislation with a friendly government and then you can get a government that's trying to hold back charities that can use some of those charitable things. And you've just got to be careful what you put into law and um, further on, the charity services has the right to ban an officer if that officer does not meet charity services requirements. And that means that charity services is stepping into the role of an employer if that officer was um, a staff member. And well, how does that affect employment law? And um, is it right for charities office, charity services to actually have that right so it's just questions and I think it's maybe an unintended consequence that they hadn't thought through to um, and so we're obviously going to be submitting and saying that we think it needs to be clarified yeah and that's a great example where I don't know the answer either and yeah. so therefore it's a perfect submission to make which is mm -hmm. we think there's uncertainty introduced by this 
And the answer may be, there must be some more guidance or there needs to be some clarification and then maybe it will all be fine. But it's a great example of if we don't make our voices heard, then it's just going to go through. And then a year from now, people are going to be going, wait, what does this mean? (laughs) Yeah. Well, ultimately I think that charity services should be there to help as a catalyst for the great work of the charities, you know, rather than stepping down and imposing on them. So yeah. This is this this I have thought that a lot of these amendments are quite regulatory and um and that annoys me. Uh, have some faith mm. and trust in us. That's what you're supposed to do as charity services. So anyway, yeah. moving along. Mm-hmm. What's another point that um you think people should be aware of, Stephen? Um, I think some of the other points, let's see, the, there's gonna be appeal mechanisms which are gonna go to the taxation review authority. Oh right. So, so that that's a that's a bit of a change um and yeah is that the right place for appeals to go to uh the the problem is that it's really costly and expensive to set up a whole new appeal structure or a whole new body to hear just charitable related issues um so i can understand why they've chosen the taxation review authority but yeah, does it give a hint about how government views charities if they're sending appeals to be heard by that body? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. one. And I also um, am quite concerned because um, the way I hear it, and you can correct me if I've got this wrong, um, the way I hear it is that the Supreme Court hardly ever accepts a case if it's been to two previous courts. Mm. That- so if you go to the taxation review and you're not happy with them and you go to the high court, um, the opportunity to be heard by the highest court in the land is is highly unlikely. So mm. if you really want to be able to go to the highest court in the land, you may have to start at the high court anyhow to get the opportunity. And then there's the issue of ability to present evidence because of yeah. the assumptions of the high court um, that evidence has already been uh, reviewed and considered, and therefore it doesn't take extra evidence apart from what has been put in front of them uh, from the previous court. And so it's it's sort of like it doesn't feel fair. The mm. needs just doesn't feel like people are going to get a fair go. So that's mm. just my feeling. And you know, I'm not a lawyer, but what's your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I I think I would share those thoughts. I mean, the reality is that appeals and any court mechanism it ends up being costly. And, you know, even in commercial disputes, we see people not proceeding because of the cost, the time, the stress that's involved. Um, So I think people discount the amount that goes into preparing an appeal or uh, the, the, yeah, just the sheer effort of it. I mean, you look at Greenpeace or Family First as recent decisions in the last year, but they've been in the courts for literally a decade. Like imagine spending 10 years of your life appealing and going back and forth and back and forth. Like it's, yeah. Anyway, that's more of a fundamental point about our court system. (laughs) Well, I actually have to cut us off there and we haven't even really got into anything else meaty, um, but there's a lot to look at. So I'd like to suggest to everybody that you take a look at other people's submissions, pick up points, write your own. And whatever you do, make sure you let uh, the select committee know what your thoughts are on on all these interesting but um, diverse issues that have been brought up. 
Thank you, Stephen, so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. As ever, your input is fantastic and we really, really value what you do for us. Thank you so much. Thank you for this time. I really appreciate it. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.